Welcome to the Impact Church Aurora podcast. We pray that this week's message encourages you, engages you, and equips you to make an impact in the world around you. Now, get ready to receive the Word of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, before we get started, I I definitely want to be able to start just by setting the atmosphere you know, and, and as I came in from, from the back, I could already feel the presence of God already in this room. And, you know, there, there is something that happens when the presence of God starts to just dwell in the place where we worship. Because what happens is, is that that communication opens up in such a way that we are able to just listen from God. You know, those of us that have children, a lot of the times we call them over, hey, come over here for dinner or turn that xbox off and different things and and they hear you but they don't hear you the problem is is that it's not that your voice is not carrying through it's that's not that it's not present what happens is is that there is all this noise that's keeping us away from doing that and see what happens here is is that if we shut off all that other noise we can then hear the voice of the father we can hear him tell us that he loves us that he cares for us we can feel his embrace we can feel his very presence heavenly father we just thank you lord we thank you daddy that in you we are victorious we thank you father that in you we have everything that we can ask or even hope for father we thank you father that you incline your ear towards us father and that you hear us every time when we pray you hear us every time that we that scream out and say, Abba, Father, and you hear us. So, Daddy, <laughs> I called you Daddy because that's what you are to me. You are my Daddy. Thank you for today. Daddy, would you just allow your Holy Spirit to just completely overwhelm us, completely be in this place in such a way, Father, that our hearts, our minds, especially our minds are transformed. They're changed. That we will walk out of here not being the same person that we walked in here being. But that we're going to walk out of here renewed. And a new, pre- a, new, a new person, a new creature in you. So thank you, Daddy, that you are here. Thank you for our pastors. Thank you for all the ministers that are here today. Because every single person that's here is an able minister. So I just thank you for that, Daddy. Thank you so much for loving us in such a unique way. In such a way that even us, that our parents can even love our children the way that you love us. So we just want to thank you for that, Daddy. We love you, Lord. We give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory. We thank you and we pray this. In Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I am super excited to be here today, to be able to worship with you and share the word with you. And, you know, one of the things that I first want to do is like, I just want to brag on our pastors. We have some awesome, awesome pastors, don't we? You know what? Uh, Pastor Jamin, he, he is from a, from a different planet or a different world. Um, in this last few weeks, and not, it's not just this last few weeks, but in this last few weeks as we, as a city, have gone through some tragedies and different things, when people, it's easy for people just to run the other way, to not get involved. Pastor James is running right, right through it, right, right directly at it. To being able to minister to people that people don't think about ministering. And that is just such a characteristic that, that just makes him such a special man of God. Um, I've been blessed that I've been under his ministry for, for, for a very, very, very long time. As a matter of fact, when, you know, as Pastor Olga was saying, we've known each other since she was 11 was about 14 and um, so we've known each other for a long long time 
When I met Pastor Jamin, um, I actually met them, met him just a few months before their wedding. And, uh, and he had a lot to do with me coming to know the Lord. He was actually my first pastor. He ministered to me and he helped me grow in the Lord. And he helped me just, just become the man of God that I am now. So I can truly say that I am a result of his ministry. Not only his, but also his father, Pastor Jeff Becker. Um, so the Becker family has always, in my spiritual walk, has always been up front and center in terms of how I look up, what Christianity is supposed to look like, and in the way that I walk. So I just wanted to just take that quick minute there to really just just be able to... Uh, to brag on our pastor. Our pastor, he's a, he's a man of God, man. He, he is a man of God. There's not that many pastors like him, uh, as well as Pastor Olga. And I'm just blessed. I am just blessed to be part of their family, amen, because we're all family. Even uh, my little sisters up here, uh, Dylan and Devin, who had a birthday yesterday, by the way. Happy birthday, girls. <laughs> I've been harassing them since they were six years old, so... It's, uh, it, it's all good. So let's go ahead and get with the word. Um, so today I'm going to be ministering and I'm going to be talking about how our minds need to be transformed. See, the thing is, is that God does such a number on us that he's able to change us and convert us and take us into a, a different place and help us become a different person than what we were ever before. But somehow there's still a little bit of an inner struggle that happens within us, right? How many, how many of you can, can, can attest to that? That, that, that struggle just kind of happens and you're like, man, I am tired and I just want to just change. Uh, right before I started ministry, somebody came up to me and asked me, hey, could you pray for me? And what they were asking me to pray about is exactly the thing that I'm ministering on today. So that in itself was just confirmation that this word that I have for you today is what God really has for you, for his people. It's confirmation that God wants you to do that. Last week, Pastor Jamin talk, talked about the God between the miracles, right? He talked about Mark in the sixth chapter. We see how Jesus miraculously feeds the 5,000 plus women and children. There's about 12 baskets left over, right? And immediately he basically tells his disciples, okay, let's go ahead and get on the boat. More than likely, they took the baskets with him, with them. As they get on the boat to go across the, uh, across the, um, the lake, a storm comes all about, right? And they start freaking out. They start freaking out. They had the very miracle that, that the leftovers from the miracle that Jesus had just performed, it was in, in, in the boat with them. But for some reason, they could not realize that Jesus had been there with them. So they, they see Jesus walking on water, and they start freaking out. So Jesus comes to them and says this in Mark 6, 51 to 52. Then he went up to the boat to them, and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. And you know, and as I was thinking about that, I was thinking that, you know what? They're not the first people to not understand about the loaves. You see, when the children of Israel were being miraculously saved from slavery, they too forgot about all the miracles that God had done in, in getting them out of slavery. We go back and we look at some of the miracles that happened and we see that, that, that Moses performed so many different miracles. For example, the changing of the walking staff into a snake. The turning of, of, a, hand of a, a hand to a leprous and back to healthy. And the turning of water into blood. And you go back to the book of Exodus and see miracles after miracles after miracles. Demonstration of God's power and the things that, that God is able to do. When Pharaoh finally lets them go, the Lord guides them by a pillar of the cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. Can you just get that in your mind? Just kind of seeing, can you imagine if you're asking God for an answer? You're asking God for direction and God is showing you himself in such a miraculous way. Would it be difficult for you to trust God? No, right? We were like, yeah, I, I can see it. But yet, 
they forgot about all the different things that they had. They were out in the wilderness. Even though God was doing all these miraculous things, they would go back and complain to Moses and say, Hey, why did you bring us out to the wilderness out here to die? And they kept complaining about the different things. Now, one of the biggest miracles that God was doing during that time is, is that he has manna raining from heaven for bread. And it also says that quail are sent to provide meat. But more important than the, than the manna's physical quantity, uh, qualities in what the, is what the manna foreshadowed. And you see, manna is a type of foreshadowing of Jesus. Right? Because in John's account of the feeding of the 5,000 in the 6th chapter, Jesus was trying to get them to not be thinking about the bread. But they wanted him to give us this bread in, in John 6, 34. Jesus tried to get their attention off the physical bread unto the true bread of life. And it says, Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst again. Sadly enough, if you keep reading that particular chapter, you realize that the people completely missed it. What is it about us as humans that we tend to keep our eyes on the things that are in front of us? And we forget about everything that God has ever done for us. What is it about us? Right? Because God could do a miracle right now in this service. God can touch you in such a way, and by the middle of the week, you might find yourself in trouble, and you forgot about what you saw on Sunday. Even though that faith is defined as this, according to Hebrews 11, 11 1, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for, and for the assurance about what we do not see. See, and, and you get that it's in that contradictory because we see things, but yet then we forget and we ask God, God, what are you doing in my circumstances? What are you doing in my situation? Right? But faith is telling us that we ought to just hope for those things even though we cannot see them then. Amen? See, the problem with us is that we not only want to see things, but even after seeing things, we forget about the works of God and we get all freaked out when things are not going quite our way. And I think what this alludes to is one thing. is that I think that we need a renewal of our mind. Right? That's why Paul, in, in the 12th chapter, he was trying to appeal to the Christians in Rome to allow God to transform it into a new person by changing the way that they think. Romans 12, 2 says, I appeal to you before, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And this is what I'm talking about here. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good acceptable and perfect. Brothers and sisters, I want to let you know this is that we are perfectly useless as Christ exalting Christians if all we do is conform to the world around us. And see, and the thing is, is that the key is not wasting our lives with this kind of success and prosperity, Paul says that he's being transformed. He says, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. See, and you see, this word transform is used twice in the Gospels. 
namely about Jesus in the mountain of transfiguration. So this particular Greek word, and I'm not even going to try to say it because my Mexican self will probably just mess it up. <laughs> it's true. Um, you know, it's like I got to get Brother Lewis up here to say it for me or, or Joshua, but I, I, I'm, I'm a different type of Mexican than Lewis. So, uh, so that's why I'm not even going to try. So th- this word is actually, it's the same word that is used for transformation, right? Uh, transformation and transfigure, right? Mark 7, 12 says, Therefore he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. See, we need more than an external transformation. This is important because not being conformed to the world does not primarily mean the external avoidance of worldly behaviors, meaning that you're not hanging out with sinners or all these different things. But you can, because you can avoid all things of worldly behaviors and not truly be transformed. What I mean by this is, is that you could be living a holy life. You could be not partaking of different things. You probably already stopped partying and hanging out with your buddies or going to bars or you name it. But you can live a holy life and still be governed by worry, anger, unforgiveness. Greed, you name it. And it is so possible and so, so, so feasible for those things to happen. Amen? That's why transformation is not switching from the to-do list of the flesh to, do, to the to-do list of the law. When Paul replaces that list, the works, right? He starts talking about in Galatians, the, the, uh, the fifth chapter about the works, right? He starts talking about all these different things, kind of like the things that I'm just talking about. Of the flesh, he does not replace it with works of the law. No, he replaces it with the fruit of the Spirit. See, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And you know, one of the things that I was telling my wife is, is that I realize that almost every single time that I minister, I go to Galatians, the fifth chapter. Because I believe that it's so important that we identify who we are. Because if we are not producing the kind of fruit that God is asking us to do, then what that tells us is that we have an identity problem. I heard a minister say that part of our identity is to be what? Christ-like, right? So, for example, if you take an orange and you squeeze it, what are you supposed to get out of that? Orange juice. If you get apple juice... There's a problem, right? So you see us as a Christian, when we're being pressed from every single angle of life, when we're being attacked, persecuted, when different things are coming at us, when life is just squeezing us, what should come out of us? Worry? Anxiety? Stress? No. The fruit of the Spirit should be flowing out of us. And that's why it says here, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. So from the Scriptures, we, got, we gather that we ought to be living a transformed life. But in order to be able to do that, we just have to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. See, the Spirit of God filling us dramatically changes us and makes us more and more like Jesus. At the end of the day, being filled by the Spirit is just by His power, through His Word, and in the context of community, is just making us more and more and more like Jesus. And you know what? Here's the deal. The problem that we have is, is that we can be filled with the Spirit of God at 9, 10 in the morning. We're just praising God. We're worshiping God. And we're just, hallelujah, praise you, God. And by 9, 20, we can be unfilled. Somebody, we're driving. Somebody crosses the road and we say, hey, you, one of these fingers. <laughs> you pick the finger, okay? You could be doing that, you know, 
Or you could be, never mind, I'm not even going to go there. Right? And just like that, we are unfilled. So what does that mean? It means that we have a problem with the flesh. Amen? We have a problem with our, our flesh. See, you're not filled with the Spirit and your heart conditioning is weakening. So what do you do? Right? It's not magic. When you recognize that what's coming out of your mouth doesn't represent the Spirit's control, when you recognize the thoughts in your heart are not the Spirit's control, when you recognize that you're complaining and whining, negative and critical, they're not of the Spirit, you just know that that's the flesh, right? So you see, the issue in terms of principles to remember is not getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit getting more of you. You get that? How many times we say, we wake up and say, oh God, fill us more with your spirit. We, I want more of you, Holy Spirit. I want more, more of you, Holy Spirit. When in reality, the Holy Spirit says, you know what? I'm super concentrated. <laughs> all that you need is a little drop of me and you got all the power that you ever need. When in reality, we don't need more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs more of us. To go and live so that we can have the power of transformation. Amen? Let me go ahead and, and, and try to illustrate what happens to us. Because I think it's a process of, of sanctification that we go through. Let me, let me, let me just go ahead and, and, and try to give you this illustration. Just in your mind picture that you have like this box. And it's the box of a house. And, and in that box... There are different squares, different boxes, and it could be the different rooms in your house. It could be your kitchen, your living room, your playroom, your workout room, uh, unless you're Mexican and you have all those in one. <laughs> I'm all about Mexican jokes today, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hopefully nobody's offended, I am Mexican. I have my green card to prove it. <laughs> or at least that's what the guy on 26th Street told me that it was. I'm just kidding. I am a naturalized U.S. citizen. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Nobody be calling ice on me, all right? It's like, <laughs> you just never know nowadays, all right? <laughs> better be safe than sorry. <laughs> um, so anyway, so we're back to the house, right? <laughs> so you got all these different rooms. So in one of the corners, you can put a box, right? And you can put, it's, it's, it's the furnace, right? So you label that with an HS for Holy Spirit. Now, you know that in a house, everything's vented, right? So you got heat that's being generated from the furnace going into each of the different rooms in the house, right? So if you're like me, if you don't want to heat a certain part of the house, what do you do? You close the vent, right? And I think what happens with us is, is that, as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in different rooms, right? If you open up the vent, surely the room starts getting up to temperature, 30, 45 minutes, starts getting to temperature, right? So that's what happens when we allow the, the work of the Holy Spirit to start coming into our lives. When we're new believers, we start allowing the different vents, right? Into our life, into our sex life, into your habits, into the different things that you do. The problem is, is that many of us have really patchy type of of, uh, of exhaust systems in our life is, is that a lot of the times what we do is, is that we close those up. And we don't allow God to come into certain things of our lives. And we say, you know what, it's okay if I go to church and I allow the Holy Spirit to touch me on Sundays. That's, that's all good. But you know what, what I do during the week, the people that I hang out with, the people that I associate with, I'm going to go ahead and close the vent because I'm not quite ready for God to work in that area of my life. And, and you see, when we do that, we are just cheating out and closing out the Holy Spirit to fully have full dominion and control over your life. Amen? So again, what happens is more of a process of a progressive sanctification. And again, and when that vent is closed... What happens is, is that there's bitterness that happens in there. 
And so being filled with the Holy Spirit has to do a lot with just being yielded, just allowing Him to work. It's recognizing where God wants to work, and that is really what a living sacrifice. What Paul was talking about, Romans 12 chapter, that's really what that living sacrifice is. It's saying, God, I don't want you to work in there, but I'm just going to allow you to work in there because I know it's good for me. And you just allow God to start working in those areas. Here's what I want you to know. Here's the word picture, okay? If you are a follower of Christ and you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives in you, all right? If you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives in you. He resides in you. He dwells in you. The Father in Jesus makes his abode by his indwelling person with this unlimited power that raised Christ from the dead. So in reality, you got all the power that you need. See, and that's what I'm talking about. I want to talk about the transformation of our mind. I want you to walk out of here today knowing that you have the power that if you couple it with the Holy Spirit, you have the power to overcome everything that comes against you. See, what I'm going to talk about next here, I'm going to start talking about how your mind works and how our habits have a lot to do with who we are and our identities. So if you hang with me, I know, you know I, I like to teach a little bit, so just hang with me. We're not going to be here till 2 o'clock, don't worry. Um, but if you hang with me, you'll see, and hopefully you can make that connection. Hopefully something will make a, a, a switch, a click in your mind, and then you'll be able to understand how God can work in you if you just allow him. See, the problem with us is this, is, is that we have allowed our mind to control everything that happens within us. But if we learn on how to use that instead of against us, but for us, we can be in a completely better place than we have ever, ever been before. Amen? Okay, so you may be thinking, right? So if I have the power, then why do I keep doing the things that I do not want to do? Or as Paul puts it in Romans, Romans 17, 15 through 20, I do not understand what I do. For what I do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, if I do not do what I want, not want to do, it is no longer I who do it. But it is sin living in me that does it. Wow, that is just as confusing as our minds, isn't it? Bottom line here is that we do a lot of the different things that we don't want to do. And we say, why, why am I doing all these things if I never want to do that in the first place? And in reality, as Paul says, is that sin living in us. See, the truth is that we live in a life, a life that is a constant struggle. And let me tell you, if you are no longer struggling, then you really got to ask yourself, Holy Spirit, are you still in me? Because if the things that used to convict you before no longer do, then you really got to ask yourself, wow, am I really walking in the Spirit of God? So that's why I say that your Christian walk is going to be a constant struggle. You know what? I, I, I prefer it that way. Because the Word says that the testing of my faith produces what? Perseverance. And perseverance produces what? Hope. So I'd rather be just doing that, going through those motions, than to just walk around and, and you know, maybe I'm thinking, well, you know what, I'm all holy and, and perfect and everything else. And in reality, I'm so far away from God that the Holy Spirit is no longer convicting me. No, I no longer... It's not that he's not convicting me. It says that I no longer feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Does this make sense? Good. I'm glad. 
Again, the truth is, is that we live a life that is constant struggle. The struggle between our flesh and our spirit. And the root of that problem has an issue with our identity, who we are. But what is our identity? See, the problem is, is that many times we confuse our identity with our purpose. And we think that our purpose is what's supposed to be driving us. And sometimes we don't even understand what our purpose is. But if you're careful and you really ask, God, what is my identity? What is my purpose? All you have to do is go back to the book of Genesis in the first chapter. It's very clear. It's very simple. Genesis 1.26 says, And God said, Let us make men in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the, of the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and all over every creature that creepeth upon the earth. So God created men in his own image, in the image of God, God created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said unto them, be fruitful. And I think that's one of the things that we do well here at, at, at Impact Church. <laughs> we are, how many new babies we got? <laughs> uh, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over all the fish of the sea and over, over the fowl of the air. And over every living creature that moves upon the earth. Again, if we really want to know our identity, is our identity is this. It says that we are to mirror God. We are to mirror the likeness of God. And again, as I said before, how do you know that we are mirroring in that likeness? It says that, again, the example of the orange, right? If you squeeze the orange, you know that it's an orange. If apple juice comes out, it means that the orange is confused, Right? If we are Christians, if we are truly followers of Christ, and if we are being squeezed, what should come out of us? Christ should be coming out of us. The likeness of Christ should be coming out of us. The fruit of the Spirit should be coming out of us. So what do we need to do if that's not quite our identity? We need to change from the inside out. But that's not easy, is it? See, we are complex human beings. And just like God, three in one, we are also three in one, right? He is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And by the way, if you want to learn more about the Holy Spirit, Pastor Jamie is going to be teaching that tonight in our class. So if, uh, if you have already signed up, better be here tonight because we're talking about that tonight, amen? So, and then your body is made up of body spirit, and soul. Did you know that when you were saved, only a third of you got saved? And I know it sounds kind of crazy, right? But if you think about it, if, you are, if we are body, the word says, according to, uh, to 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, is that we're going to get a what? A renewed body, right? When Christ comes back, right? So our body is still not, it's not fully, fully saved, right? Our spirit right? Our spirit, our spirit is saved. But the soul, which is what controls our will, our emotions, that's what actually controls everything that goes on with us. And that's actually what we continue to have the constant struggle, right? And with the soul, that's the process that we go through, the process of sanctification. See, and if it's that thing, right? If we cannot do anything about our body, yes, we can do something about our bodies, right? We can take better care of ourselves, believe that God is our healer and everything else. We can't do anything about our spirits because if we trusted Jesus Christ with our, with, 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 um, with our salvation, then we're good. The, the soul is the one thing that we can continue to work on. And I think that we as a church, as a church body, we've done a very, very difficult or a bad job at teaching people how to be successful in that area. Because a lot of the times we limit everything that goes on with us and we make it all about a an emotional encounter. And many times we associate having an emotional encounter with truly having full breakthrough. And then once that emotional encounter passes, right, you have a great emotional encounter on, Monday, on Sunday. And then come, here comes Monday, here comes Tuesday, and you still wonder why am I still struggling with the same things that I struggle? 
Why am I struggling with anger? Why am I struggling with, with envy, with jealousy, with depression, with all these different things? And the problem is, is that we as a church have not really helped you guys understand how to control that. How many, how many of you want to understand how to, how to con better control that? Anybody? One, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> So I think that what, one of the things that we got to do is we got to do so. And in order to do so, we need to understand how our minds work and how by changing our habits, we can change the process of renewing our minds. What? What does habits have to do with the way that I think and everything else? Let me explain this to you. The human brain is a prediction machine. It's continuously taking in your surroundings and analyzing the information that it comes across. All behavior is driven by the desire to solve a problem. Sometimes the problem is, is that you notice something good and you want to obtain it. Sometimes the problem is, is that you are experiencing a pain and you want to relieve it. Either way, the purpose of every habit is to solve the problem that you face. The information I'm sharing with you... Um, I think this is a really good book if you, if you want to get into some, you know, some really good reading. Let me tell you this. The only difference that's going to that, that's gonna be in you from now, from five years from now, are two things. The number of books that you read and the people that you associate you with. That's the only thing that's going to make a difference in your life. Right? So if you are frustrated, if you're not, nothing is changing and you've been the same person for the last 10 years... Take a look at what you're reading. How are you feeding your mind? How are you feeding your soul? The Bible in itself, if you're getting into your word, that in itself will just completely change you. What type of people are you associating with? See, the thing is, is that we rise and fall to the levels that we are thought to be acceptable. Right? So if we hang out with people whose levels are acceptable just here, you're going to stay right here. But if you change the people that you hang out with and you hang out with people that are up here, what do you think you're going to do? You're going to want to rise to that occasion. Amen? So anyways, in one of the readings that I'm doing is, is a book by the name of um, Atomic Habits. And the author of the book is James Clear. And this book really just really got me thinking a lot about, actually, this particular message was actually driven out of reading that book. As I was reading that book, I was just like saying, wow, there's so much correlations. It's that if we as Christians can control the way that our mind and our habits work, we can really make a difference in our lives. See, a lot of people think that, you know, that I'm, that I'm really smart. You know, I have, I have two bachelor's degrees. I have a master's degree. And a lot of the times people think that I am very smart. And in reality, I'm not. I just have really good habits. That, that, that's all that it really comes to. I've learned how to study, and, and, I, and I tell this to my son because sometimes my son and I were studying and we're working on math, and sometimes he feels like he doesn't get it. And I said, you know, it's not that you're not getting it. It's just that you have to learn things a little bit different. See, but part of, part of the thing is, is that I've developed really good habits uh, throughout my lifetime, but not only that, I've also created part of my identity, See, very, very early on as, as a young, as young child, when I was, you know, about six or seven, when I started kind of coming to uh, human, more and more of understanding of life, I realized that my parents were older. I, I realized that if, if uh, it, that, that I, when they got older, I was going to have to help them, that I was going to help to have, help provide for them, right? So my identity became that of a provider, and I understood that in order for me to be able to be a provider, there was only one way that I could do it, and that was through education, right? So my identity is wrapped up in being a provider, and because I needed to become a provider, I developed habits that would help me become successful. And even now, I have the habits that help me develop different things. I have, you know, through the help of the Holy Spirit, I have developed different things that even helped me understand and think differently. Again, if, you, if I was to do an IQ test, I, I don't think my IQ is that high. But I'm highly efficient and effective in different areas because I've been able to 
look at the way that I manage different things, my thought process, my, 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 my habits and different things, even though my wife will tell you that I have some really bad habits. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I, I'm so thankful for my wife. Uh, you know, I was telling her on the way here that, that, uh, that she's like the second Holy Spirit. <laughs> and you know what? It's biblical though, right? Because, because um, uh, Jesus says, and when I go, I'm going to send you the helper, right? If you, if you go back to the book of Genesis, the word of God says, in, uh, God, uh, God says to um, Adam, and I'm going to send you a helpmate. So therefore, I think our wives are, you know, sometimes, you know, they, they take too much of like, hey, I'm the Holy Spirit, but never mind. <laughs> I love you, baby. <laughs> I hope we're still having lunch and dinner tonight. <laughs> you never know, and hopefully my laundry is already done for the week. <laughs> Otherwise, no, I, I'm just kidding. But anyways, getting back to the topic here, um, the habits that you develop have a lot to do with it, right? So getting back to that, right? All behavior is driven by the desire to solve a problem. What you need to understand is that your habits are shaped by the systems in your life. How is your fellowship with God? How is your relationship with other believers? See, we allow the external to dictate the internal when it should be the other way around. A habit is a behavior that has been repeated enough times to become automatic. The process of a habit formation begins with trial and error. Whenever you encounter a new situation in life, your brain has to make a decision. How do I respond to this? The first time you come across a problem, you're not sure how to, how to resolve it. The ultimate purpose of habits is to solve the problems of life with as little energy and effort as, as possible. For example, if you're feeling anxious and you discover that going for a run calms you down, you're mentally exhausted from a long day of work, and you learn that playing video games relaxes you, see, you're relaxed, you're, you're exploring, you're exploring, you're exploring, and then bam, you find a reward. You see, habits are simply a reliable solution to recurring problems in our environment. And as habits are created, the level of activity of the brain starts to decrease. And that's what the brain is looking for. A lot of the different things you do without even thinking, right? For example, you walk into a dark room, what do you do? Right? Because your body, your mind has a sense of, hey, I have a problem. I need to see. Okay, so I'm just going to go in and flip the switch. And you see the thing happens in our lives. See, there is no longer the need to analyze every angle of situation because, again, your brain's constantly doing that. Your brain skips the process of trial and error and creates a mental rule. If this happens, then I have to do this. These cognitive scripts can be followed automatically whenever the situation is appropriate. Now, whenever you feel stress, you get the itch to run, right? As soon as you walk in the door from work, you grab the video game controller, right? Again, we all have different habits that we develop, right? If you actually look at your life and what you do when you come home from work, you can right away tell exactly the different habits that you, that you have and the different habits that you've created to cope with the different problems that you have in your life. A habit can be broken down into a feedback loop that involves four steps. Can we go ahead and throw that image? It's a cue, a craving, a response, and a reward, right? So you always go through this loop. Cue, craving, response, and reward. So the cue triggers a craving, which motivates a response, which provides a response, I'm sorry, a reward, which satisfies the craving and ultimately becomes associated with the cue. Together, these four steps form a neurological feedback loop, cue, craving, response, and, and reward. For that reason, it can be said that these four steps can be split into two phases, which is the problem phase, in the solution phase, okay? I'm going to give you a couple, a couple of examples um, uh, to do that. Can we go ahead and get the next image here? This is a simple one. For example, the problem is your cue, your phone buzzes with a new text message, right? What is your craving? You want to learn the contents of the message. What is the solution phase? You grab your phone and you read the text. You satisfy your craving to read the message Grabbing your phone becomes associated with the buzzing, right? 
We all go through the, all these different things, right? And there, there, there are things that are automatic. We don't even think about it, right? And I'm going somewhere with this because the same thing happens with the different situations in our life. Let's go to uh, the, next, the, next, uh, the, the next sample here. Let's go to the last one here. Or, uh, yeah, let's go to the last one that says, you hit a stumbling block on a project at work. The craving is you feel stuck and you want to relieve your frustration. The response, which is part of the solution phase, what do you do? You pull out your phone and start checking social media. Uh, social media. The reward, you satisfy your craving to feel relieved. Checking social media becomes associated with feeling st stalled at work. You know, when I read that, I was like, oh my goodness, I do that. <laughs> you know, a lot of the times I... Uh, I, um, I'm working, and, 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 and I hit a roadblock, right? And what do I do? I'll open up, a, a, like, the news or something else to really just kind of get my mind off of it, and then I jump back on that, right? And we do this. Does anybody, does anybody else do, uh, falls into the same category? I think that we do that, right? And this is, where, this is where I'm going with this, okay? This is cool stuff, right? But how does this have anything to do with my spiritual walk? We need to insert God and the Holy Spirit, the helper, into the habit loop. We need to insert God in order to disrupt, disrupt the responses by the flesh. See, we need to understand that our success is tied up completely in our identity. What do I mean by that? Again, you squeeze the orange, <laughs> what comes out? Orange juice. You're a Christian, you get squeezed, what you come out? Christ. So, how many of you have problems keeping New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Nobody? Nobody has problems? Nobody wants to admit it. That... Like I tell my, you know, it's like, you know where, where all liars go? Uh, they go to Impact Church. <laughs> Nobody wants to admit it. So. Let me ask you, let me ask you the, uh, let me ask you the, <laughs> let me ask you the question again. How many of you <laughs> have problems uh, keeping your New Year's resolutions. I think there's a lot, lot, a lot of people that, that, uh, that identify with that, right? See, the problem is that what you're trying to do with New Year's resolutions is that you're trying to create new habits. But your habits shape your identity, and your identity shape your habits. The most effective way to change your habits is to focus not on what you want to achieve, but on what you want to become. Let me give you a quick example here. Imagine two people, and, and this, this is how your identity is tied into everything. Imagine two people that are trying to quit smoking. Anybody, can anybody identify with that? When offered a cigarette, the first person says, no thanks, I'm trying to quit. That sounds pretty reasonable, right? But this person still believes that they are a smoker who are trying to become something else. They are hoping that their behavior will change while carrying out the same beliefs. The second person declines by saying, no thanks, I'm not a smoker. It's a very, very small difference, but this statement signals a shift in identity. Smoking was part of their former life not their current one. See, and now they no longer identify themselves with those beliefs. They no longer identify themselves with the smoker. Which one do you think is going to be more successful at quitting smoking? That person that is being focused on an identity. What if we were able to walk in our identity as children of God and respond differently every time that adversity comes our way. Can we go ahead and get the next picture up, please? Um, not not uh, the, uh, the picture, please. What if we were able to disrupt our thought process? What if, you know, in, in the cue process, right, we have a problem, we have a solution, we have the cue, we have the craving. What if we inserted God right into that situation? For example, 
You receive negative news, right? That's your cue. Your craving is, is that you feel worried and you want to relieve your anxiety. What's your response? You start thinking of ways of problem solving uh, or you start complaining that life isn't fair or you start posting it on social media. So you satisfy, the reward is this, that you satisfy your craving to feel relieved by being stressed out and anxious and being anxious becomes associated with getting bad news. What if we were to mess that up completely? What if instead of when you start getting, you get that cue, when you start that craving, when you start getting worried, what if your response wasn't to complain to everybody else or post something on social media? What if your response was this, to just basically go to the scriptures and say, Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer, in prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Or what if you were to do 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of the word of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. What if we did that? What if we just started changing the way that we do? Because we do have the power to change our habits. We have the power to change the way that we deal with things. So the next time that you are facing a problem and situation, you can either face the problem situation the same way, or you can use the way that your brain works to do that. Can we get that image back again, please? We have to get to that point where we disrupt our old behavior. We activate it with the Word of God, with the help of the Holy Spirit. We reinforce it over and over and over again, because it's not going to happen the very first time that you do it. You got to do it over and over and over and over. You got to train to repetition and then you got to maintain it to retain it. What if we learn to work according to the Spirit rather than according to the flesh? What if we learn to walk as children of God, as co-heirs co with Christ? Let us not forget the tribulations will come. Can you go ahead and show this last, very last picture? We serve a God between the miracles. We serve a God that's there to be with us always. But somehow we forget the things that he's doing for us. In Joshua, the 12th chapter, as the children of Israel were getting ready to cross the Jordan River, it says this, and you don't have to put the scripture up, just keep that picture up. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. You see, I believe that we ought to have certain things in our lives that remind us of what God is doing for us on a daily basis. On a weekly basis, I have the honor of uh, meeting with, one of, uh, uh, with the, one of the owners of the company, our president. He's actually an evangelist. He does uh, different uh, crusades throughout Africa. He's uh, able to just bring thousands, hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. And uh, I have the privilege of being able to pray with him in the mornings. Myself and another brother in Christ, we meet with them. And on Friday, we, we had what we, uh, what we call our, our, uh, our little uh, stone ceremony. And we don't like bust out a joint and we just get stoned. But we have a stone, a stone ceremony. What we have here in the middle, there is a jar that has a bunch of different stones. We have a journal and then we have another jar, uh, the glass jar with stones. What we do is, is we started this late last year as this particular scripture in Joshua that came, came to us, we felt that we really needed to have a, a constant reminder, not only to us, but of anybody that may be wondering if God still moves in a time like this. And what we do is this, it's really simple, is that we pray for things and 
the things that God is able to answer, we have very, very specific prayers, and God answers. And then what we do is we take, and we're actually really, we were saying we're like really behind because God has not only answered four times. This is like probably the four times within the last month of something that we prayed about. So what we do is we put a number, we write a note in the journal, we put a number on the rock, and we set it there. Our goal is for us when we need our faith to be strengthened, to be able to take out that rock, look at that number, and read the journal as to what God is doing. All the rocks on top of the, uh, of the journal, like I said, we had our, our, our stone uh, ceremony on, uh, or you know, prayer, whatever you want to call it, is that we all took a couple of rocks, and we're just praying and believing, and we're basically putting them on top of the uh, journal because we're saying, God, we're believing that these six stones are going to make it into the glass jar. See, because when we are faced with adversity, we don't just worry and complain and we say, where, where are additional sales are going to come from? We get on our knees and we say, God, you are mighty to save. You are willing and able to do exceedingly, abundantly above we can ask or even think of. So God is able to do that. You see, what we've developed here is a process of not worrying about things. Because it's very easy to get worried about different things that could happen. Do bad things happen? Do we sometimes I still have to do layoffs and different things? Yeah, they happen. But our hope is in Christ. And the one thing that we can do is we can just continue praying. 18 years ago, I came to know the Lord. I was completely lost I had a lot of the different things that you could ever ask or want in life but I felt like this emptiness in my heart you know how I had created my identity as a provider so I worked very hard to make it through college, to double major, to start working on my master's. Had a brand new car, was in a relationship. I had all these different things that you think are going to fill you up. But I had a big hole in my heart and I was empty. The Bible says that God has put an eternity in our heart. And if we have an eternity in our heart, what is the one thing that can fill that? Only something that's eternal. God is the Alpha. He's the Omega. He is the beginning and He's the end. And you see, God, in my brokenness, and I think many of you can relate to this, that you just get to the point of brokenness where you just feel empty and you try all these different things in life, whether it's alcohol, drugs, and just so many different things that we try to fill that void. And it just wasn't helping. And see, I, I, I'm a Psalms 37 and 4 guy too, just like my sister. When I first came to know the Lord, I, I, I heard that scripture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And what was the desire of my heart at that point? It was just to simply not feel empty. To feel like I had a purpose. I had wrapped around my identity on the wrong thing. Even though it may not seem that it was a bad thing, I had wrapped it around. And when I finally got to the pl place where I could be a provider, it still didn't satisfy. Only Christ is the one that could satisfy. The book of Genesis. Jacob was known as 
His name means as the one who, that, that, that cheats. The one that, the, the one that cheats. And his identity was completely wrapped in that. He had cheated his brother. The funny thing is, is that he was tricked. He was, you know, his name meant trickster. And he was actually tricked himself. He wanted to marry this one girl and his father-in-law did a switcheroo on him. I still don't understand how he didn't know it was a different girl, but that's, maybe it's something different that happened, you know. But his whole life was just about that. He knew that his brother was after him. And as he was escaping, he had this encounter with God in this place called Peniel, which means the face of God. And in that place, God changed his identity from one who deceives the trickster to one who perseveres. He changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And as I and as I pray, could we could good can we get to our feet as, as as I close here? And you see what happened is this. It's just that his identity was completely wrapped into everything else until he wrestled with God. And the word says that he wrestled with God and he persevered. And God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And then what happens next is this, is that he was afraid that his brother was trying, was going to kill him, was even sending, you know, uh, gifts ahead of him to kind of appease his brother and everything else. And what happens is that when his brother, he has this encounter with God, God changes his identity. And then when he sees his brother, his brother runs at him and hugs him. See, and what happens is this, is this that when God changes your identity, everything that you had fought for, everything that you were afraid, God fixed. So as I pray, I'm going to invite you guys, for those of you that says, you know what, I think I need a change in perspective. I think I need a change in identity. And if that's you today, I'll invite you up and, and, and uh, we'll have a, a group of people up here ready to pray for you. If that's you. If you're saying, you know what, I am tired of living the life that I'm living. I am tired of not living out my identity. I am tired of allowing my habits, my thought process dictate and guide me in the way that I need to do. We're going to pray that God will break that and that God will break that now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us all the power that we need to succeed. We thank you that you gave us your son Jesus Christ who transformed us completely Father and I just can think back of of when you transformed me when I when I prayed and I accepted you as Christ I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior I can just think of that night how my life was completely transformed You changed me in such a way that all those things that I was trying to drop off and I couldn't before, you dropped them off like that. I was a smoker. And that night, you took that away from me and I have not touched a cigarette ever since then. I used to drink alcohol. And ever since that night, <laughs> I don't have to look for that. All these different things that were wrapped up in my identity or that I was trying to use to do that, you took it out completely. There were some things that 
you kind of left there to help me work in my perseverance because my persever the perseverance was working out hope and patience. And I thank you for those things. And Father, I pray that if there's anybody in here today that says, I am tired of living the way that I'm living. And maybe there's somebody here that says, Lord, I just want to go back to you. I just pray that you bring them forth, Lord. That as they're making that bold step of faith, that you will start working in their lives. So, Father, I just thank you that wherever everybody's at right now, Father, that you are touching them, that you are transforming them, that you are breaking their all identity, and that you are replacing it with your spirit. Your word says that you will remove our heart of stone and that you will replace it with the heart of flesh and that you will pour your spirit upon us so that we may be able to follow your decrees. So, Father, I pray that that heart transplant, that identity transplant happens right here, right now. So we thank you for all that you do, Daddy. We give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message on the Impact Church Aurora podcast. Please feel free to subscribe, rate, and review. For more information or to give, please visit us at www.impactchurcharora.com. Now, go out into the world and continue making an impact.